Right, we're in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, my name's... Sorry, sorry, we're doing, we're going to figure it out. You're awake? All right. My name is Pastor Josh. We'll be one of the pastors here, so if you're our guest, look forward to meeting you. It's hard to know which exit you'll take to meet you at, uh, but I'll be back there somewhere. I would love to introduce myself and get to know you, and uh, welcome to Faith Community Bible Church outside, where we look at God's Word. We're in Philippians chapter 3, and uh, encourage you to find that on your phone uh, or to use your Bible uh, that you might have brought with you. If you don't have one, of course, we'd love to give you one and uh, for you to have that gift to go home with you. But I think the concept uh, this morning will be something that you can uh, track with, whether or not you know God's Word and you've been a student of Scripture for a long time, or this is your first time here. We hope to make it accessible to you. And so uh, here's the opening kind of illustration. It works whether you're a parent or a kid, because we've each been one of them, okay? And so here it is. A parent, one of a parent's deepest longings, I think that every parent could probably share at some point, is certainly for their child's safety. Uh, every parent longs for their kids to have some measure of safety. And you know how it goes. Uh, as a child or as a parent, you have been in a situation where you are going out for the night. Something that you're looking forward to doing. And But before you go out for the night, the parent might have a couple of words right on the front end so that when you come home, everything is okay on the back end. Right? Some parents give you some words at the front so that when you get out of sight, you behave right. You know what I'm saying? Right? And so parents say, hey, before you leave this house, I got a couple of words for you. A couple of words to make sure that you are safe. Now, since this is more of an informal gathering, anybody have something that you have said to your kids or kids that you hear often every time you leave to make sure things stay tight? Right, So that you behave right when you are out of sight. Anybody have any words that they have given their kids often? Drive safely. Drive safely. Yes. When will you be home? When will you be home? Just be stupid. Don't, don't do stupid things with stupid people in stupid places. Don't do stupid things with stupid, stupid people time. in stupid places. <laughs> the stupid rule. Yes. My dad used to say, don't forget your last name. Mm. <laughs> you reflect us, right? Those are some words that would matter. Or make sure you're home. I, used to, I grew up in suburbia. When the street lights come on, you better be home in the front yard, right? Those are some things that we say. And so it's a natural, if you're a kid here and you're wondering if it's just you, it's not, okay? It is a natural parental inclination to guard your children and the apostle paul who wrote the letter of philippians he is a parent of sorts he actually is the father of the philippian church because he planted that church on his second missionary journey you can read about that in Acts 16 and so we arrive in our section philippians chapter 3 verse 1 and it's in which paul has a parental concern for the safety of his children Listen to Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. How many kids can repeat the things that their parents say on the way out the door? You have it by heart. You know exactly what your mom and dad are going to say. I used to go to soccer practice all the time. My mom says, do you have your soccer ball? 
Do you have your shin guards? Do you have your water bottle? And before I would even get to the door, I'd look back at my mom and I'd say, I have my shin guards and my soccer ball and I have my water bottle. You beat me to it. Because why? They repeat themselves. It's no problem for mom and dad to repeat themselves because for you, it is safe. His concern was for the safety of the Philippian church to arrive safely in heaven's harbor. He wants them to live in such a way to finally arrive at home. It goes back to his prayer for them in Philippians 1. Flip back a page if you're new to using the Bible. That large number is the chapter. The small number of the verses, Philippians 1, verse 9 through 11. Hear Paul's desire for them to arrive all the way in heaven's harbor, to arrive home. He says in Philippians 1, 9, is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and here it is, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as he shares his desire for them, I want you to arrive home, he now transitions in chapter 3, verse 2, to his concern for them. He says, verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These are words of a parent before the child goes away, before he leaves the house. And this is his word for us this morning. Notice that threefold repetition. Look out. You could probably just translate that. Beware. 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 Right? What a change in tone of this letter of joy. Look at what he calls these people. Dogs. Evildoers. Mutilators of the flesh. What descriptions for these people that we are to beware of. So look out for those dogs when you get outside my door. When you go out into the night. And those dogs that he's referring to are religious persons. Religious persons. Judaizers. In this present context, they are Judaizers who mutilate the flesh, those that require circumcision to become a Christian, and he calls them evildoers because they are heaping burden upon burden upon burden onto his children. That yes, you've begun by faith in Christ, but now the way that you continue is you keep the law. He wrote the whole book of Galatians that same kind of thing. And Paul is tired as a parent with people messing with his children. So he says, beware of this counterfeit Christianity. Look out for the religious, those law-keeping ritualists who think they find right standing with God by what they do. It's quite an irony that when we tell our children, right, to look out on their way out the door, as parents, we often forget to say, look out for the religious. Right? Look out for those people out there that are secular, that are pagans. We don't want you to get into the party lifestyle. We don't want you to adopt a more liberal agenda. But do we warn our kids that you can get in just as much trouble by meeting people on the street as much as you can meet people underneath the steeple? Right, And so at Faith Community Bible Church, every year we go to Boston for the junior-senior trip. And I am so upset that this year we were not able to do that. But we train our juniors and seniors what? 
how to find a local church because once they leave this faith family, some of us have been born and raised here. We go out and we go, I don't know what church to find. That church looks really cool. I love the architecture. Eh. Wrong answer. I love that flag they have outside. It reminds me of Noah's promise. Eh. Wrong answer. And so we go through how to find a local church. They have to wake themselves up. We keep them out until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, playing in the gym, doing whatever we have to do to say, can you get your own rear end out of bed into church on Sunday morning? They have to find the metro and get there and analyze whether it was a good sermon, analyze what is a healthy worship service. And they come back and we review it over lunch, and it has been a privilege to talk and to discuss with kids how to find a healthy church. Man, I, I've missed it so much that tomorrow you're going to see a blast from the past. Check your email. There's going to be a video of the past six to nine years of junior-senior trips. Some photos to remind you of what we've done. And as some of you have left home, we pray that you would find a good home in a local church. But here's Paul's message today. One sentence. Beware of counterfeit Christianity. Beware of counterfeit Christianity, which seeks to add to the faith in Christ our own works of the flesh. It's a little bit longer the second time, right? Beware of counterfeit Christianity, which seeks to add to the faith in Christ our own works of the flesh. Because Paul is concerned the Philippians might shipwreck their faith on the way to arrive safely in the harbor of heaven. And we know this, that any addition to the gospel of free grace is subtraction from the gospel of grace. Any addition to Christ alone is really a subtraction from the sufficiency of Christ. Notice this contrast that Paul puts here in Philippians chapter 3. He wants you to have no confidence in the flesh. Instead, he wants you to have complete confidence in Christ. Look at verse 3. We are the circumcision compared to those that have confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory or boast in, and put no confidence in the flesh. Justification by faith alone. It says, beware of counterfeit Christianity that adds to the faith our own works of the flesh. Kids that are taking notes, that are trying to follow along, two simple words for you this morning. Here's a contrast. Flesh versus faith. That's really the whole sermon. Flesh Versus faith. Beware of the flesh. Believe in faith. You can see that even though the Judaizers don't really exist today, where they're no longer called that, the core of their teaching is still prevailing. This is still a warning for us today because the names that Paul gives these Jewish leaders, these false teachers, really are some common forms that human boasting can creep into a local church today and distort true Christianity. Notice the names. They kind of signify what they're up to. Beware of the dogs. Now, would you agree that today there is no way that you could identify a whole people group as dogs? That is just out of bounds. You would certainly have some social media action, tweets going viral if you called a whole people group dogs. And so you look at Paul calling a group of people dogs, and you're going, wow. Is this hate speech? Is it even anti-Semitic? He's calling Jews dogs? Well, first, remember that Paul himself is a Jew. That's kind of helpful to know, okay? 
and he's calling the Judaizers, not all Jews, but Judaizers, dogs. Why? It's a term that the Jews coined. And now Paul is flipping it back on them. Why did they have that term? Well, it is not like how we think of dogs today. Some of us say, what's up, dog? <laughs> Maybe not as much up here in the Northeast. <laughs> but where I'm from, that was a normal high school greeting. Anybody else? Okay, just me. All right. But <laughs> others of us can identify more with dogs as being those cute, friendly pets. Okay? Jen Batchelder is praising God for that industry. Okay? And she loves them. There she is. A furry affair. But dogs back in the ancient time were not cute pets. They were not a word that you would use for your friends. They were scavengers, and they would ravage the garbage. They had no care to distinguish between clean and unclean food. They just wanted food. And so the Jews would call Gentiles, who did not care about whether a food was clean or unclean or any kind of purifying right, derogatory hate speech, more or less, Putting them down, Jews viewed Gentiles as dogs. Now, even though that is wrong, I believe that what they are doing here actually can be an unexpected ally for us in understanding what is true Christianity versus what is counterfeit Christianity, right? You see that they are wrong as Judaizers for trusting in their ethnic privilege of being Jews, they have pride for their religious observance and how they are pure before God. And so they have some pride there, and all of that is wrong. But what is helpful is it actually shows us, and it's helpful to acknowledge, that all of us feel a certain measure of uncleanness. Right? All of us feel a certain measure that if we were to be inspected by God, we wouldn't pass the test. For example, the need to be clean. Teenagers, you know how important it is to be clean. It's fun to watch a young man go through 6th and 7th grade where he could care less about taking a shower days on end till all of a sudden he is spending more time in front of the mirror than some of his lady friends. Why? Because he is getting ready for a very special person. And when you want to get ready for a special date, what do you do? You shower so you can smell good. You try to look good. You floss your teeth. You don't want to mismatch. You don't want a speck of dirt on you because you are dressed to impress. It's fun to watch those junior high boys begin to care about those things, isn't it? And all the moms are saying, we're just glad for deodorant, right? I mean, we're just happy, okay? But the reality is it's not just for that very special date. God says, you know what? It's the same thing for me, because the Bible says that all of us are unclean. We're all unfit for God's presence. So all of us have an attempt to clean ourselves up before we get to God. It's just in our nature, we try to clean ourselves up, and we don't necessarily do it the same way the Judaizers did, mutilating the flesh and those kinds of things, but it's the same principle, and here it is. We try to get clean before God by going from the outside in. Forget about the circumcision thing for a bit. We all try to get clean before God from the outside in. We don't want to feel unclean. We don't want to feel excluded. We don't want to feel inconsequential. 
I'm going to give you a couple of P's here that will summarize how we do it today. Here's the first way that we try to be clean. Here's the first way we try to matter, and it's be political. Actual political activism is a way to feel clean. It's a way to matter. It's a way to get things right. In our political landscape today, God is dead. Capital T, truth is gone as well. But the modern man still has a need to feel like he matters and he has value, that he has worth. And so where do you get it from if God is dead and truth is relative? You get it from your group, your tribe, your party, your cause, your race, your sexual orientation. These political identity groups today, if we are to believe what we are told, are all locked into a zero-sum game of competition for power and resources between these groups. Political thinkers call this a return to tribalism. Don't think the African Bush tribe, okay? Just think of modern-day tribalism, where we define we in our way against everyone who is not like us who doesn't share our views, who don't share our priorities, and it's our tribe versus everyone else to gain power and to gain resources. We demand that they not only tolerate us, but that they celebrate us. And the hope is that if we just get enough social structures right, all the human problems will go away. You can listen to the news through that grid. Oh, it's capitalism. That will make the world the perfect place. No, 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 no. It's socialism. If we just destructed everything and reallocated wealth, the world would be the best place. If we could just have more tolerance around sexual orientation, this world would be at peace. If we just change what gender meant and not have a binary system, then we could agree and have peace with how anybody wants to identify. But all of that is trying to help us be clean from the outside in, from changing the structure to making our nature better. It doesn't work that way. No matter who's in power, we still have this huge problem, the Bible says. We're all sinners. Teenagers, you say, oh, Josh, politics. I, I lost you for the last five minutes. Adults are saying, I'm ready to charge the pulpit. Okay, but teenagers are like, I don't pay attention to politics. What in the world does this relate to me? Okay, here's another way that we try to find cleanness, acceptance, our identity. Popular culture says, be pretty. Be pretty. We feel inferior before others. We feel inconsequential before others. We feel insignificant. We feel inadequate because of our body shape, our body size, our height. And the world says you want to cover up that feeling on the inside, just go ahead and imitate the in crowd. So we have celebrities. So you can look to them and try to dress like them, wear your hair like them. You can even hear it in the advertisements that if you buy this car, you will have this kind of life. My favorite, because I like to work out, is you buy this t-shirt, you are going to have greater performance in the gym. I have bought a number of t-shirts, and my bench press has not increased. <laughs> but you know what? I see that, and I think, oh, one that says comfort wants to kill you. I'm like, yeah, I put that on. I go to the gym. Next thing you know, I'll be walking around like this. <laughs> bought the t-shirt. Still don't have a problem walking around like this. <laughs> right? 
But we believe that stuff because culture says that if you wear these clothes, you will be somebody. You look like them, you'll be somebody. It happens even in church, but it doesn't work. You want to know why? Because they're airbrushed. Implants, liposuction, stars. And it only makes you feel worse about yourself trying to clean yourself up from the outside in. Because you never measure up. There's always somebody prettier, always somebody bigger. The last P here, not just pretty. This is why it's dangerous, why you have to come to church. The last one Paul says here is religious performance. It's not just those that are involved in politics, not just those that really care about their looks. It's those that can come to church. Look at how uncomfortably candid Paul gets about his own ethnic, racial background before he was in Christ. Look at Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Pastor Pat's going to do a whole sermon next time on this. But he says this, Though I myself have no reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's going to give us seven things. Four are his pedigree as his ethnic race. Three are his religious performance of what he's done. And he totals them all up. And he says they're all worthless compared to Christ. Here we go. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of the Hebrews. What about my performance? As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteous under the law, blameless. Paul says, our confidence is not in our ethical identity, ethnic identity, and it is not in our ethical accomplishments. Our confidence as Christians is in Christ's identity, and Christ accomplishments. Our Christian confidence is not in our ethnic identity or ethical accomplishments, but in Christ's identity and his accomplishments. It is only our relationship to Christ that defines me and we. We need a Christ-centered vision of identity. Paul's message to us, church, is beware of counterfeit Christianity that takes pride in your ethnic identity, or your ethical accomplishments, as if that is going to make you right before God. Friends, don't misunderstand me. In the Bible, there is still an in-group and an out-group. That's tough to hear. There is an in-group and an out-group in this passage. There is an us and a them. But thankfully, the in-group is open. The in-group is open to any ethnicity, the in-group is open to any political party, any social class, male or female, because the in-group is based upon repentance and faith in Christ alone. Romans chapter 10 says, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be Friends, are you confused about the most important question in your life? Here it is. Whatever you think is the most important question you have today, here's one that trumps it all. How can I be right with God? Most important question. Many people today believe that human effort plays a big role. It's what you do. If you try your best to live sincerely a good life, then God will say, I'll let you into heaven. Because you tried so hard. 
Let me give you an illustration here. I'm going to see if I can get up and do this, but this is the high jump record from 1993. It stands at... Damn, I need this to do it. Hopefully I don't fall through it. Eight feet and a quarter inches is the high jump record that has stood since 1993. This is not pole vaulting. Not pole vaulting. This is a man who, with his own two feet, was able to jump eight feet and a quarter inches. That's amazing. Would you agree? But it also shows us human limits. Because maybe somebody might jump eight feet and a half inches. But no one's going to jump a mile. Not in this world. Not as humans. And Paul is saying, and he's warning us, that when you get outside the church door, any of you who are offered a right relationship to God according to your flesh, right? whether by your ethnicity or by your ethical effort, beware of counterfeit Christians. Flesh and faith are two extremely different ways to arrive home in the harbor of heaven. Next week, we'll look more closely at it, but we'll see what Paul thinks about his pedigree and his performance, his spiritual lineage and his law-keeping abilities. Paul says when it comes to his spiritual pedigree, when it comes to his ethical performance, and he wants to weigh that, how much does my ethical performance, all the good things that you've tried to do, all your religious performance, coming to church, saying prayers, being baptized, he says all of those, I count as nothing. They're as light as a helium balloon. But what I want to have my faith in is the anchor of Jesus Christ. Because in this world, you try to put your flesh in a tipsy-tarvy world, and your confidence in something, you're going to get moved all over the sea. You need your anchor to hold into someone who is out of this world, who is completely righteous, and will credit you his account. You hold on to that anchor. You will never drift, and you will arrive safely at home in the harbor of heaven. We have a testimony that beware of counterfeit Christianity. True Christians place all of their confidence in Jesus Christ's identity as the Son of God and his accomplishments as a perfect substitute to pay for your sins, to rise again, and to be vindicated as righteous, to give you not only a clean slate, but his righteousness. And so we sing, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. We sing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. We're going to open it up to any testimony of when in your life you learned that it wasn't about what you did, but what Christ has done. Anybody want to share a testimony? I'll start by just saying in two sentences, in seventh grade, I went to a Christian school and I thought it was by my good works. I didn't inspect my life. I thought God would be lucky to have me. I thought just being born an American good kid, 
that of course God liked him. Didn't have any sense of guilt, didn't have any sense of dread, fully expected to be ushered into heaven. Learned in seventh grade. That's not what I did, that's what Christ did. And I heard about this word called grace. I remember asking my substitute teacher, it was all of our ploy in seventh grade to get her off track from science. We asked her religious questions, and she indulged, and I heard about grace. And I said, are you sure I don't have to do anything but to repent and believe? So that's it. You know how much of a weight went off my shoulders? You know, I never thought I was good enough, but I always thought that I could try to get it. Straight-A kid, soccer player, trying to be the best, competition performance, and when I learned it wasn't about me, man, I felt like the first time. Anybody else? Testimony of how you came to know that it wasn't about what you did, but what he has done. Come up here in the front. Got to use the microphone. Anybody else? Ernie's making his way up. Keep thinking. Friends, this is Ernie. This is the microphone you have to use, right, Mark? Use this one, please. Sure. Thank you, brother. I went to a uh, very cultural, correct church down in Massachusetts back in the 70s with an elder and actually a trustee and whatever. And I was very far from the Lord the way I used to drive my car and the way I used to act. But what God demonstrated his love to me in a way that didn't have anything to do with me. Cars were my God. I was driving an Andover Mass, and my car was involuntarily stopped when I was driving down the street. And after I came to a complete stop, I wondered why it was stopped. After I came to a complete stop next to a building, a little three-year-old child ran out right in front of the car. If God and I had not involuntarily stopped my car, I would have run over that child. I can't imagine living my whole life uh, having uh, run over a child because cars were everything to me. He demonstrated love to me. And I went in, and, and I, I uh, it was right outside of a coffee house that back in the 70s, I came to faith in Jesus, and, and uh, but I'll never forget that, that he demonstrated his love to me, and if it wasn't for that, I, uh, he, he just got my attention, but he, he's very, very proactive, but anyway, I give him glory and honor that uh, he's awesome. I used to think God's cars were awesome, but Jesus is... <laughs> Give a testimony all the way from the Philippines. Yeah, really. <laughs> Just for this. Uh, I was 17 years old, 1977. I was a religious kid, hoping I would be good enough to make it to heaven. And then I went to a World Life Basketball Marathon in Exeter, New Hampshire, and found out it was all free. And I had never heard that. I did not know that until that day. That changed everything.
think of that great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, the foretaste of glory divine. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all day long. If you know Christ is your Savior, I get that it's intimidating to come up here and speak from a, a microphone. That isn't everyone's cup of tea. Uh, I get that. But I pray that you can share your story with somebody today in the afternoon. Rehearse as a family. Talk about it. How do you point to Christ versus all the ways you're going to point to yourself? The world saying, point to you. This is me. This is me. This is me. And a Christian, all he does is he just points to how great Christ is. And I pray that you'll find ways to do that this afternoon. We'd want to uh, hear about those testimonies and encourage each other with that. And to remind ourselves before we uh, assume a different version of Christianity, that it's still by grace alone and Christ alone that we are saved. And uh, we also wanted to hear at the end of the service to uh, honor and to pray over Ross, Rebecca Allen. Brock is still in Virginia, but we also have Scott with us. So Ross, Rebecca, Scott, if you'd come up, we'd love to pray over you and to send you to Virginia and to bless you in that. If the elders want to come up, we can pray over them and encourage them. Thank you, guys. Sorry we couldn't get Brock here at the exact same time. Pat Testament, our associate pastor, Doug Chamberlain, Don George, one of our elders, Bob Berger, Ross, Rebecca, and Scott. Been in our church a long time, have served in a, a variety of ways that promotes the gospel. Rebecca's taught our children the gospel, keeps that before them uh, every Sunday, prays for them, writes notes to them evaluates curriculum. There isn't a more fine-tooth comb that our curriculum goes through than uh, Rebecca. Man, don't try to pass anything by her. That isn't gospel-centered uh, just to get through a service to entertain kids or to babysit kids. She chucked that out the window and said, no, we want commitment from our teachers. We want to have Bible-based lessons. They have to find the Bible passage. We're going to help them with that just to open up their word. And here's the heartbeat of our church. We know that our kids aren't going to remember all these stories and lessons that we teach them. But you know what they will remember? Mrs. Allen made me open the Bible. Just, they can't even read, but, the, but you're going to remember the priorities that people have, right? And the priority was we're going to open God's Word, and we're going to look at it. And the kids every, every week open the Bible, look at it. Ask how their prayer request went because God answers prayer. Those gospel habits, I guess the spiritual muscle from last week, muscle memory, we pray would last long in our church. We praise God for uh, Pam Newhook and Allison that uh, are stepping into those shoes. And then Ross taught from a different way. Ross taught from music. He outfitted his, his car to have the greatest stereo ever. <laughs> he has how many songs on his, on his phone? 10,000 songs on his phone. Why not? <laughs> Loves every kind of music and invested in our young people to play Christian music. Was there every Sunday night training them how to do it? Give them a passion for music, but give them a passion for godly Christian music. And uh, we're still praying for God's leading and how to disciple the next congregation. And then Scott manifested, maybe not necessarily with his words as, as much, but manifested the gospel of grace by caring for you every Sunday. There were prayer cards in place. The communion cups were gone. The, the chairs were exactly spaced out right. And he cleaned and said, I don't come to be served, but to serve. He gave his life, hours each week, 
uh, serve our local church. And so, as we think about them and praying for their blessing to Virginia and that they have a local church there, I'm sure they've already found one, thinking about one, praying for one. You'll have options in central Virginia, <laughs> and uh, we'll pray for discernment, that you would not you know, get succumb to a counterfeit Christianity. There's all kinds of stripes down there, uh, but you'd see, see a gospel-centered church. And we just want to pray God's blessing on you. So, Faith and let's stand. You can put your hands up like this if you'd like to pray a blessing over them with us. You don't have to. This is New England, so even down here is okay, you know, um, but you can do this if you'd like. All right, well, let's pray for them. Father God, Father God of the whole universe, Father God of the Philippines, of the United States, of New Hampshire, of Virginia, we thank you that you're not a local deity who's limited in where you can be served or, or how you can be served. You can be served through teaching. You can be served through leading in music. You can be served by how well we have sermon cards and prayer request cards and tithing envelopes and chairs arranged. God, how big are you? And so we trust into your massive, large, secure hands, our fatherly hands, your good heart that holds us, Ross, Rebecca, Scott, Brock, Samantha. We pray your blessing upon them, that you'd be gracious to them, that Ross would be able to make wise decisions on whether to start his own business or to uh, have uh, another career and, and an industry there. We pray for their finding of a house, but Lord, we pray most importantly for their finding of a local church that preaches the gospel, that they can get in there and uh, give that church the same uh, Holy Spirit, fresh power that we were experiencing here for so many years. Uh, we pray that they would make disciples. Uh, of Christ and say, follow me as I follow Christ. We pray that uh, there would be more like them who wouldn't think that Christianity is an individual thing where we can run faster if we were on our own, but that through their example that they'd be willing to slow down, to link arms with others, to get further together. And we just pray there'd be more churches and more believers that would get further together, arrive safely all the way in the harbor of heaven because of their service to you. pray you'd be glorified in them. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Let's sing the doxology, and then we'll be dismissed. Anna, would you mind leading us in the doxology? Please make sure to uh, love each other, introduce yourself to somebody. But different families, again, are kind of practicing different ways of how to deal with this health pandemic. So just be observant. Uh, try to practice that social distancing thing uh, as you leave and uh, care and love each other in how they want to receive it. But if you're our guest, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for making all the effort to get here. Thanks, Bert Kara, for being an usher to help us know where to park cars. And uh, Ethan Stratton, thanks for joining the praise team, man. Great to see you there. Any other blessings that we can have, share them with one another. Uh, our church doesn't want it just to be people up front, but you, being the body, uh, fulfill your ministry. We are members one of another. We are desperately needy people, and yet we need each of you. So pray that you would get fellowship now and encourage each other in the things of Christ to trust Christ alone and not in the flesh. 
God bless.